So, Sean tells us he's watched it, that it's real. Brian Williams played a clip from a movie accidentally as a news clip during his show last night. We'll have to get to that coming up. I, I, the investigation I want to do is I need to know what level of Brian Williams' involvement of it was. Because he seemed to be surprised by it, and maybe he's just a broadcast professional, so he wasn't shaken. But I feel like if he well, wasn't... Well, he's ex- seen all those bodies floating by in New Orleans. That's true. So he is hard. That's true. <laughs> yes. Um, so we got that. And uh, also the um, Johnson & Johnson one-dose thing that came out today. I was so excited about this. Yeah, everybody was. The world was, because it was such good news. Um, And the app I was on, Wall Street Journal app is not that handy. And it's expensive. Um, you would think they would, uh, you know, have that dialed in. I think Hang I can, on a second. Oh, I, I dialed it back up again. Uh, headline out today: Johnson Johnson said it's a uh, one dose vaccine, so you don't have to get one and then come back in three weeks and get another one. Um, the results are uh, p- pretty good for just the overall population with the regular COVID, about eighty-five percent. It's not the ninety percent that Doctor Fauci says you really ought to expect. But the, the the scary news was it's more down around in the 50 percentile against the new South African strain. And that was very disappointing to a lot of people. Now, it was 85 percent effective in preventing severe disease, regardless of what variant caused it. Almost all the cases were mild, which, you know, and here's something I ought to know, but I don't. Can I get the Johnson Johnson vaccine? Maybe I run into the local rep. And uh, and he says, you know, I actually have some in my briefcase. And he jabs me with it. Can then I go get the Moderna in Boy, there's three no weeks idea. to six freaking months whenever it's available? There's if, something if you want X-ray vision, you can. <laughs> <laughs> See? See, they ought to tell you that. If you want some of those Godzilla powers. <laughs> you know, that's funny. And or your wang falls off. I mean, it might not be a, a positive like X-ray vision. Like, if you get all three of them and they're all like 90% effective, is there enough overlap that you're now 100%? Or will it kill you? Yeah. I think we ought to know these things. Of course, I can't get it no matter how hard yeah, I try. This is so. all theoretical. Right. What Would X-ray you... vision be a blessing? Are you, Can you turn it on and off? Are it, you seeing bones or naked? Because often people talk about X-ray vision, you're just seeing through people's clothes, and you're seeing naked, ha, 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 what right, am I, and, right. and a 10-year-old boy. Or am I seeing their bones, and I don't see a real advantage to hey, either. you got a stress fracture. Or is it, <laughs> or is it like a... An MRI or uh, what's the other one that you the imaging you can get? A PET scan or no? When the athletes uh, get the uh, they MRI is MRI what they well, whatever. So I mean, am I going to look at somebody and say, "Oh, you probably ought to get to the bathroom"? I mean, you are—it's uh, way down low, and you're. <laughs> I mean, can I see their digestive system? Well, from my understanding of superpowers, uh, when you're young, they are often uh, wild and uncontrollable. But as you practice discipline and training, you can you can then hone in and maybe even be able to control your X-ray mm-hmm. vision to where you, if I want to see through uh, five walls, I can do that. Well, if I right. need to, yeah, we're yeah. focusing on people, right? Um, I don't see any advantage to any level, whether I see you naked or your bones i just i don't see how that would improve my yeah, life i don't know at if all. you've heard of the internet naked people is kind of easy to find well and the vast majority of people you see every single day you don't particularly want to see naked what if i'm working security uh, that, that guy's got yep. a pipe well there that would be different but be able so to... you have a superpower and you're a security guard you're a that's, that's, my, that's, that's my cover that's oh, the best you oh, could do oh yeah. i'm an idiot i apologize I'm, meanwhile I, at the hall of justice where I mean, Sean is not and here's the thing everybody thinks i'm bad at my job 
because every time something breaks out, I disappear and I come back as an right. X-ray vision right. guy so or whatever. So you take a lot of guff. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Oh, he disappeared again. <laughs> Seeing through walls, though, could have its benefits. Sure. But, all right. Um, back, back to you. Back to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. One potentially troubling sign, says the Wall Street Journal, the vaccine's efficacy rate varied among the regions in the study. It was 72% in the U.S., 66% in Latin America, and 57% in South Africa. Why mm. did it vary so much? J- Johnson & Johnson uh, analysis found that the vaccine didn't work as well against the new virus variants is why. And... Yeah, there could be there could be a, obviously a slightly different variant in any of those countries that's the dominant variant, and we wouldn't know. They're not they're they're not testing enough in so many countries. Like we aren't in the United States, hardly testing for the South African variant at all. Right, first two confirmed cases in South Carolina, where I was only months ago, risking my life for you. <laughs> um, and uh, and neither of those people had a history of travel to South Africa or knew anybody who had. It's clearly. In the community now, it's around. So you got your South African strain, you got your British strain, you got your California strain they're talking about. It's clear, isn't it, that we're going to get a new variant every two weeks. So far, so pretty good on the vaccines dealing with it. Again, the theoretical vaccine, because we're not actually getting them. Right, You always have to throw that in, because we all talk about this conversation as if we've gotten or are about to get it. Right, it's like telling a mugger, the gun I've ordered is shooting you in the belly now. You know, it doesn't work that way. Well, the the experts, like uh, Dr. Gottlieb said, the the main strain of the virus is going to be the British strain and the South African strain by March. So the old one that upset the world so much is not even going to be our main problem within like a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So you got to really hope that these vaccines are working on the new strains because that's what we're going to be. That's what the story is going to be. Yeah. And that's get, what's going to be keeping uh, businesses closed and schools closed to any effect. And, and uh, with all due respect to the difficulty of teasing out how accurate these numbers are, we've gone over it many times. Don't send your angry emails. Uh, we're up around, what, 440,000 deaths in the United States? Yeah, deaths with COVID. I know, I know. With a guy wipes out his motorcycle, he's got the COVID. He gets counted with a more easily spread version about to overtake. Yeah, the uh, the, the the scene. Yeah, I, I'm surprised there's not more uh, urgency around all of this. I think we're worn out. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is we're just worn out by the whole thing. Part of it is we have been misled and lied to, and Dr. Fauci and others have admitted that they lied to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lied for you our about own the, good. Though. We lied to you about the masks for your own good. Uh, we lied to you about herd immunity for your own good. And and enough of that has happened, you know, and then you, and then, and all of this fits together. The politicians eating out at the restaurants when they tell us that we're not allowed to leave our home, and all that stuff. All that stuff fits to, together to why we're kind of, you know, eh, about the fact that it could get significant. In fact, it's likely to get significantly worse unless something changes. And the vaccine rollout has been floundering and and has often fallen victim to bizarre racial notions of justice, which just goes to show there is no situation so serious, so terrible, that you can get these crazy people to think sensibly. These uh, progressive critical race theory maniacs. It's how dangerous they are. They are. People are dying in droves, and they're, well, now we need to reconvene the commission because it's come to our attention that there's a bit of inequity dealing with 
uh, Middle Eastern illegal immigrant lesbian amputees. And, and so, no, I'm sorry the vaccine is expiring, but we really need racial justice. There's no situation so so serious these people won't wake up, or will wake up, rather. So something funny happened on Brian Williams' MSNBC show last night, which will lead me into the latest cable ratings in which CNN toppled Fox, and it's kind of interesting who watches what. I was declaring uh, the post-Trump era to be the end of cable. That was me absolutely wishing for that. I'm, I'm wishing for that. Uh, it still might happen. But anyway. Force for evil, no doubt. CNN beat Fox? What the heck? Uh, more on that. For the first time, we have what I'm told is the first video, uh, exclusive video, out of this meeting today uh, between McCarthy and Trump. Uh, We'll watch it and react on the other side. I love you. You? And I'm just... Has... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. <laughs> that is, um, obviously, we have rolled the wrong clip, and we were, we were sold a bill of goods here. I thought this was going to be of the uh, McCarthy and Trump meeting, and someone's going to be, of course, in... So... So you're not in sh- trouble? Yeah, yeah, my okay. I knew, my editing was terrible today. So are are you so you but you're not sure if that was on purpose and he just played it way too straight or somebody like was screwing with him which you shouldn't do. I was certain he was in on the joke until his reaction, which was very strange. It doesn't sound like he was in on the joke. It even had so they, it, it, they didn't accidentally press play because even on this thing, it had the little watermark identifying it as the clip from the movie, which you have to do for uh-huh. copyright right. reasons or whatever, right? So the, it, somebody played it intentionally to what level Brian Williams' involvement was in on it. I don't so know. So was it a gag on him? I mean, it's obviously a, a Trump and McCarthy are, are total. Uh, you know what's for each other? They're in love. They're so <laughs> stupid. I mean, that's somebody decided that yes. was funny. Yes. And if you despise Trump and McCarthy, I could see it being funny. No, if that was the old um, uh, who's the sportscaster who had the snarky MSNBC show for a while for a- Keith Olbermann. Yeah, if that was Keith Olbermann, you'd know what was going on there. Sure, but Brian Williams doesn't do that sort of thing. He's a pretty straight news show. We had been I just- sold a bill of goods uh, by whom? You, it's, you, you don't have a clip you haven't seen on a TV show. I mean, somebody's seen it. That's that's the thing that makes me question his his level. Because I don't feel like he would be like, okay, let's just run this thing I haven't seen yet. Yeah, uh, Maybe somebody thought it'd be funny to spring it on him, and he didn't think it was the least bit funny. That person, I'm interested in how else they misread rooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They might not be working there anymore. Anyway, so cable ratings out. CNN beat Fox for the first time in like 25 years or something like that. They're crediting it to a huge drop off in Fox viewers for a lot of the uh, Biden stuff, especially Inauguration Day, was just blowout numbers for CNN. 
and ah, MSNBC, yes. and hardly anybody watched it on Fox. So, you know, one day doesn't make a month, but there was a lot of that going on. So, well, you know, you'll have to see the coming months whether it means anything. And was it like the all-day average rating we're talking about? Uh, it, was for, it was a month. They're looking at okay. the month. All right. Whatever. Okay. But um, breaking it down even further, one I don't know anything about Wall Street and short selling. I know I, I know barely anything. I know a lot about ratings, and so and I know enough about ratings. Say so you got to wait a while to see if anything is like actually changed. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. also you get misled by demos. Sure, um, people get all excited about demos that the radio station, TV station, whatever, they weren't trying to get the demo you're talking about. Right. They don't care that they lost that crowd if they got more of a specific age. Exactly, to flip it on its head. You tell me what story you want to tell, and I will find you ratings that tell it. I haven't dug into this. There's a decent chance that they're talking about CNN beat Fox and overall viewers, but Fox still dominated among the, the what they call the money demo in TV is 18 to 49, which Fox would say, we're fine with that. So we lost kids and oldsters. We're fine. We want 18 to 49. So there is that to rating. Judging by the number of walk-in tub ads, uh, they want viewers over 49. <laughs> Unless that's caught on with the young. Millennials have killed tubs with sides. Yeah. Gen <laughs> Z loves the, uh, the, 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 the alert necklace. I've fallen, but I can't get up. What? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, my 21-year-old daughter craves seeing Joe Namath pitch reverse mortgages or whatever the hell, or Medic- <laughs> Medicare uh, supplement insurance. That's right. That's right. So the Come average, on now. The average 28-year-old really follows the advice of Joe Namath? Oh, yeah. But you got to be really older than me. hey, hey. hey. Shut the hell up. Broadway Joe's talking. You gotta be older Said than no twenty year old ever. <laughs> well, you gotta be older than me to have direct knowledge of Joe Namath being a big deal. <laughs> um yeah, and walk in tubs and also a lot of twenty five year olds needing hearing aids. Sure. Of yeah. some sort. Oh yeah, it's the the dang uh, club music. It's the raves. <laughs> it's hurt their hearing. Anywho. Um, they broke it down the ratings by uh, what your political leanings are, and if you lean Republican um, your number one news source, 93% of people are on Fox, that, that they choose Fox. Only 5% of people who are lean Republican choose MSNBC as their main news source. <laughs> I can understand why. It's hard to imagine. Uh, but for people who lean Republican, Fox is a really big deal. 93% say that's their main news source. Then it drops way down to... ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, that'd be the older crowd that still thinks the big three networks are looking out for you. (laughs) Then it drops down to tiny numbers for CNN, NPR, New York Times, and MSNBC. The other crowd, Democrat, lean uh, Democrat, 95% choose um, MSNBC as their choice. 91% 91% say the New York Times, uh, say they'll look at the New York Times every day. Obviously, yeah, you can list more than one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 87% NPR, 79% CNN. So I would say if there's anything you could take from this, it's spread out among more things among Lean's Democrat. They, so if I was a Democrat, I'd say oh, it just shows that we take in more information from more places because we're no, smarter. No, if I'm doesn't. on the other side, I would say <laughs> there are no options. None of these options listed. <laughs> aren't left super left-leaning uh, publications. Mm, yeah. MSNBC, you, you, New York Times, NPR, CNN, NBC News, CBS News, ABC News are all way left. Right. 
Right. You've got one choice if you're going to take in you know, any of those choices there. Now, you said those were the numbers for lean Democrats. What about fat Democrats? Do they have different uh, habits? Or uh, have I misunderstood? Food Network. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dar. What was I going to say only before six, that idiotic joke? Only uh, 6% of leaning Democrat choose uh, Fox as a uh, oh, source. Oh, I was going to say, clearly MSNBC is uh, at least a nose ahead of CNN in winning the lefty crowd. I will tell you this without fear of contradiction. And it, it makes me insane hearing uh, progressives, as a guy who takes all of it in for a living, fixed news. Fox News is stupid. They're terrible. Here's your difference. Fox News opinion shows are opinion shows. Lefty opinion shows are opinion shows. Fox News news is news. Liberal channel news is opinion shows. They have no straight news. Brett Baer, Bill Hammer, that whole crowd, the the midday, the, I can't remember uh, the name of the show. Um, it's hardcore news, and it's highly critical of Republicans. The other thing I would when say. it's legit to be. A number of the Fox News I show, shows I watch, they'll have a panel with a number of people that disagree completely yeah. on the topic of the day, whatever issue it is. I never see that on Brian Williams' show, where they have, you know, four people on, and one of them is in great disagreement, ever. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. And virtually every panel has a notable lefty on it who is treated with respect and asked, uh, you know, to explain themselves and the rest of it never shouted down. By the way, I watch MSNBC every night and I learn something from it. And if you only watch MSNBC or CNN, you should watch Fox because you would learn something from it. Take in both sides. It'd be a smart thing to do. That's my PSA of the day. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You're a bunch of cowards hiding behind our children as an excuse for keeping schools closed. You think you're some sort of martyrs because of the decisions you're making when the statistics do not lie that the vast majority of the population is not at risk from this virus. The garbage workers who pick up my freaking trash risk their lives every day more than anyone in this school system. Figure it out or get off the podium because you know what? There are people like me and a lot of other people out there who will gladly take your seat and figure it out. It's not a high bar. Raise the freaking bar. And it's funny how one person can uh, have such an effect. I don't know how many times I heard that clip or saw that clip. Love it. In the last 48 hours. Uh, you know, a guy expressing what a lot of people feel. And I just wonder, you know, I was reaching out to a number of people yesterday in the legal community, particularly, what what are the policy things around this whole teacher situation? That guy was obviously talking about teachers claiming that we're just trying to protect the kids. And he called them liars and cowards uh, for claiming that. The parents, the kids... The, in many cases, the administration, the scientists all say open the schools. The teachers unions say, no, we're not going to. Let's talk to Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi, fellow in American public policy studies at the Hoover Institution, host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. Lon He, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. What a, what a compelling clip. I mean, yeah. to hear the emotion and just to hear the, I mean, you know, expressing what a lot of parents around this country feel and, and sincerely feel. It's not, it's not like fake anger. It's just no, sincere no. feeling frustration. No, and I had, appreciate his eloquence yeah, too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have the, I've had that level of, of anger throughout this whole thing about the schooling and everything like that. 
you're a lawyer, you understand policy. What can be done legally? What can be done policy-wise to deal with this situation? The teachers' unions seem to just have all the, the, the cards here. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, what you're seeing is that in, in the public education system, what you are seeing is the product of decades of essentially collusion between school boards, school administrators, and the teachers' union leadership. You know, it's not, in many cases, it's not rank-and-file teachers. You know, a lot, I know a lot of rank-and-file teachers who just want to get back to work. What I do know is that there are a lot of union leaders, a lot of union stooges out there, who are only interested in protecting their own jobs. And they're trying to figure out essentially how can we do that? And the only way they do that is by being relevant. And the only way that they're relevant, quite frankly, is by pushing back on what is in many cases a common sense and science supported idea, which is let's get the schools back open. Let's get the kids back in. But when you have decades of this that has essentially gone unchallenged in many states, this is what you end up with. I realize that it differs state to state but what about just firing all the teachers uh unionized teachers who won't show up to work like reagan did with the air traffic controllers you're paid to do a job your excuse for not doing the job is bogus so you're fired well you know what what districts could do if they actually had you know some courage is essentially to do what what happens in many settings which is uh, essentially, you figure out, are there are there replacement teachers? Are there people who are non-unionized you can bring in? But here's the challenge, guys. No school district, I think, well, at least not many school districts that I know of would do that because the school districts in many cases are run by school board members. And, and by the way, you heard this clip, right? School board members in many cases are supported by the teachers union. They are in power. They are there because of the teachers union. Again, not universally. There are some parents and some other community leaders who've taken a courageous stand and said, look, we're going to go and, and stand for election to school boards to stand for the right things, getting our kids a quality education, ensuring that they have the facilities they need, all of the important things that come with a good education for our kids. But in too many cases, guys, too many, these people on these school boards are there because of the unions. They are beholden to them. And therefore, they will not vote. They will not vote to do the right thing. They will never vote to cross the unions. And that's how you end up where you are. One of our fantastic listeners dropped us an email today, Lonnie. I had not known this. One of the, if not the biggest teachers union in America, the California Teachers Association. The people who run that union are themselves in a union, a different union. And they have better benefits than the teachers that they represent. Whoa. Which is really a hell of a deal. Uh, Talk to us in general about public employee unions and and why FDR, of all people, was against them and and why it's a a very dangerous idea. Well, look, you know, the the idea of unions is is actually something that I don't oppose. You know, I think that the concept of having unions in the private sector where you have represented employees engaging in a negotiation with Employers, multiple employers trying to figure out how to improve conditions for workers. That's one thing. Public employee unions, there's no competition in, 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 in the negotiation. You have a single entity, the state government in most cases, or local government, whatever it is, it's government, that you're trying to negotiate with. You essentially are hiring people to negotiate against yourselves because the people paying these workers are taxpayers. They're not corporations. They're taxpayers. So essentially what you have set up 
is a negotiation where people are negotiating against the taxpayers. And that's the problem with public employee unions. Uh, It's not about trying to drive a better bargain with a private sector employer who has freedom of contract, who has the ability essentially to say, these are the terms under which I want to hire someone. This is very different. This is people trying to essentially get benefits over taxpayers. And that's the challenge of public employees. And that's the the reason why people have opposed them. I read a funny thing yesterday that showed that kind of a negotiation with the the public sector since their negotiation, they're just talking about somebody else's money. We we want a 2% raise. We'll give you three. Let's make it four and part as friends. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So a couple of quick points. Yeah, private industry unions are there as an oppositional force. They're to oppose the uh, the power of the employer to do whatever they want, and that's fine. It's freedom of association. It's very American. But there is no management in government. I mean, theoretically, they're there to represent us, the taxpayers, and, and our interests. But n- number one, even in the best scenario... They're going to do what's expedient as politicians. And number two, in a place like Corruptifornia, for instance, the unions have figured out, wait a minute, we can turn out all of our members, so we'll get our union lawyers elected as government officials. And so our current union lawyers will be negotiating with the guys who were union lawyers last week, and the minute they're termed out, they're going to be union lawyers again which is why California has a, an unfunded pension atomic bomb that's going to go off. So, anyway, anything well, you'd like to add on to that or, or disagree right. with Lonnie? No, I mean, that's, that, that, that's all right. And, and in, in fact, you raise a really important issue, which is, you know, you talk about the very generous pensions that many public workers have, by the way, far more generous than what, you know, pretty much anybody who works in the private sector has. And those pensions have been negotiated, and, and we continue to kick the can down the road on the obligations that have to be paid on these things. You know, you talk about, for example, the health care benefits that are provided to uh, public employee workers in, uh, excuse me, public sector workers in California. Many of those benefits, by the way, are far more generous than benefits provided even under Obamacare. So a couple of years ago, when there was a negotiation between one of these public sector unions and the and the agency where they work, the argument made by these union stooges was essentially this. We don't want Obamacare. It's not good enough for us. And then the same people go and turn around. And you know what they do? They fight for Obamacare. They say, hey, Obamacare ought to be available to more people. And in the, the hypocrisy of that, the hypocrisy of saying, it's not good enough for our people, but it's good enough for everybody else. Wow. That's why people get aggravated and they get yeah. angry with these public sector unions. Well, I don't want to leave people feeling defeated here on a Friday. So if, if we're listening wherever they're in the country, your kids aren't in school. You want your kids to be in school. The, all the science says they can be in school. Legally or politically, what should people be doing? Can we get a class action lawsuit where all the parents get together and say, hey, I'm owed something and I'm not getting it? Or... Uh, are, are you saying we should just, uh, you know, fill Zoom school board meetings or what What should we be doing? Yeah, I, I, I love the concept of speaking directly to those who are in a position to make change and telling them that, that, that we've had enough. You know, there's a group that formed recently in California of parents, it's a grassroots grassroots movement of parents throughout the state. And by the way, this is not a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat thing. It's parents who are sick and tired of their kids being at home when they should be in school, coming together 
and, and, and all they're doing is they're making their voices heard. They're making their voices heard at the school board level. They're making them heard at the county level. They're making them heard at the state level. And that's a really important thing. Uh, you know, activism matters. We've seen it over and over again. And this is one example of where, you know, yes, could you use the judicial system? Of course you could try. That's going to take years to resolve. We don't have years. Mm. This crisis is happening now, and that's why activism now is so important. Yeah, I think it's got to be marching uh, on the schools peacefully, of course. It's got to be showing up en masse at the the school board meetings and that sort of thing. And uh, and it's complicated. A friend of mine who's on a school board, was the president for quite a while, said, yeah, the problem is the board, in, in his case, wants to do the right thing, but the uh, teachers' union is constantly threatening to sue the board and the school district and the rest of it. And it's some bloody-mouthed hardball uh, to do the right thing, which is uh, why... Uh, you know, a lot of the great economic thinkers of all time have said that the, the worst of all uh, monopolies is a monopoly on education. It's the most dangerous one. And the public school yeah. system in the United States has become something like an aggressive, violent monopoly to the point where they uh, they fight against the idea that you can take your kid out of a bad school and put them in a good one. I mean, it's morally bankrupt, It's and it's illogical. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And, it, you know, it does come back to this problem that when you're talking about many of these unions, they are able to have an influence over the political process that quite simply is outsized. So they are able to reinforce the power monopoly they have, whether it's in state capitals or whether it's in the local school board. They're able to do it in a way because, you know, if you look at how much money these unions spend on political activity, it's staggering. It is absolutely staggering. And the amount of money that they spend, how involved they are, their ability to essentially handpick the candidates they want, they're able to perpetuate the kind of monopoly that has brought them to a position of power over the last three or four decades. And this is what you end up with. What we are seeing now is, a, is, is the real fruits of their labor. And I think for the mm. first time, a lot of parents, a lot of voters are seeing it, and they're sick of it. Lon Hee Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon Hee Chen. Lon Hee, thank you so much for the wisdom. We appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you. Yeah, that was really good. That's the best yeah, thing I've heard on this stuff. stuff. And, and meanwhile, you remember uh, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez of Cal Unicornia, who is the gal who got uh, the infamous AB5 through that tried to change all gig workers into permanent employees. From your Ubers and Lyfts to hairstylists to x-ray technicians to to musicians and artists and set designers, just everything. And it ruined so many, threw so many people out of work. It ruined hundreds of thousands of lives. Well, she did it because she wants everybody in the union. And she just introduced another bill this week that would clear the way for capital staff people to form a union if they so desire. So the government, which is union goons, would have staff that are union goons negotiating with the union goons. One final note. I just happened to read this morning. Uh, the uh, And again, it's uh, about corrupt California, but by God, th- those of you in the other 49 states follow the horrific example of California at your own risk. Uh, they cited several of the giant union obligations that were sold to the people of California. Oh, this pay for itself. The employees kick in some money, and they do. Part of their paycheck, they kick into their pension. And then we use that money, we invest it, it will grow, and it'll totally pay for their benefits. After a 10-year unbroken bull market, (laughs) a lot of these pension obligations were at 
55% funded, 60%, maybe 65% funded. After a bull market that was impossibly uh, rich. And will never happen again, probably. And, and yielding. Yes, and it'll never happen again. They're at barely 60% funded. What a scam. Well, vote or vote with your feet, folks. I got if you're m- in one of these states. I got more on that. I'll save it for later. We got to check in on GameStop and AMC stocks and all that sort of stuff. See how that whole story is going. Also, they uh, polled people on how they feel uh, Facebook and Twitter ought to hi- handle various kind of speech. All this stuff is pretty interesting. Hope you can stay here. Youth Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman will recite a poem before next month's Super Bowl. That's right. It's easier for a 22-year-old poet to reach the Super Bowl than it is the Jets. (laughs) Health officials, we should rhyme more. (laughs) Working so much on tackling. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Interesting. Our, Our old agent was a big Jets fan. Just, like, lived for the Jets. Went to every game. Um, he was a better Jets fan than an agent. <laughs> you know, I was considering going there, but I didn't. Yeah, well. You did. I did. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about crowd wisdom and that sort of stuff coming up. We'll get back into the GameStop story, find out where the stock is today, what's going on, what various people are saying about it. Uh, kind of a... You know, a, a, an overarching view of the whole thing, which I find pretty interesting. So, that oh, on yeah. the way. a couple of things I want to get to uh, as well. The uh, annoying uh, left-wing cat blog, BuzzFeed, with a uh, one of their listicles that I actually think undermined their own case in a wonderful way. And speaking of strange ideological bedfellows with me, the New York Times with an editorial: "Hey, ease up on the executive actions, Joe." Saying Joe Biden's doing too many executive orders. It's the wrong way to run a country. Couldn't believe it. Um, I just came across this stat. Traffic deaths rose even as the pandemic left the roads empty all across the country. Way fewer miles driven, but traffic deaths rose. They're really? trying their their guess is, because they have to guess, as uh, people were just driving way faster without the commuters out there. I know I was. <laughs> oh, um, that's interesting. I uh, definitely, as a guy who's had roughly the same commute for 15 years, the number of people, and, and I drive, uh, well, again, this is Uncle Joe making up stories just to entertain you. There's no truth to this. Uh, I drive within 15 miles per hour of the speed limit, okay? I have a max. I set my cruise control. So if it's 70... Just 65. For, for the sake of the argument. This person, this fictional Joe. We're yeah, this, yeah, let's call him me. Um, if I were going, say, 78, 79 miles per hour on the super highway that I used to get to, it's like five lanes. It's enormous. Okay. Uh, the number of times I get passed by a guy doing easily 90 skyrocketed. 
during the COVID period. And that's what's going to kill people. It's not bulk. It's disparity in speed. Um, disparity in speed is a problem. I was going to say that because it's rainy where uh, where I was. If you're scared to drive in the rain, oh. I won't lecture you, but stay off the road. You're yeah. so freaking dangerous. You you 50 mile an hour on an interstate, people, because you're scared of the rain? Yeah. Fine. For whatever reason, you're scared of the rain. You're old or you got a bad eyesight or you had an ex- I don't know Fair what enough. it is. It doesn't make you a bad person. stay off the road. You're incredibly dangerous. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're there by is a guy far like that the today. most dangerous person out there. Yep. They're certainly as dangerous as 95-mile-per-hour guy. Um, a crash that is survivable at 40 miles per hour can be fatal at 50 miles per hour, and and it continues to go up like that. So part of it is just the speed at which you have a crash increases the likelihood that you die. That's, yeah, buddy. Makes sense. When the pandemic significantly lowered traffic, you remember there was a point there where there was hardly any traffic at all. I was driving through it because I kept coming to work. And, I mean, well, we're essential. Are, I had the roads to myself. The rate of traffic fatalities per miles driven driven jumped 18%. Wow, I had no idea. This. Reaching a level not seen in a dozen years, and that goes back to different safety features. You know, well, pre-everybody having anti-lock brakes, for instance. Well, and, and uh, you know, if I commuted during rush hour, this would have leapt to my mind immediately. You can't get in a fatal wreck at 12 miles per hour. be pretty hard. Stop and go traffic. It's pretty safe. So now everybody's flying along. That's it. Oh, we got to talk about what GM you said yesterday. They're going all electric yeah. and uh, driverless. They're talking about too. Boy, the, the driving yourself in an electric in a gas powered car might be going away faster than you can imagine. I'm calling bullshit on that. How'd you like that? Oh, pretty, pretty good. good. Bullshit. Armstrong and Getty. Outdated.